My name is Tracy Carpenter and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, welcome. We are glad that you tuned in. We believe that the church is a family and not just an event, and so we would love to connect with you. Uh, there are a few ways that you can do that. The first being um, through our website, which is www.restoredtemecula.church, um, and then click on contact. We also have a mobile app that you can get in the Apple or the Android app stores, and through that app, you can see past um, messages, upcoming events, and other ways for us to connect. Um, so with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Um. Man, so glad to be with you guys today. It officially feels kind of like summer, not just because it's hot, but I don't know about you, but my mindset is kind of like it feels like we're slipping into summer, which is good. It's a very good thing. Now, for those of you guys that have been journeying with us, you know we spent, man, we spent, I think it's over 380 days without being able to gather in person on a Sunday morning. And it was challenging and it was hard. We made it work, but it obviously was not ideal. And then God in his goodness, he provided this space for us. And so since March, we've been meeting in here and it's been so refreshing for our souls. Man, it's been so good. And so coming out of 2020, we thought, you know, let's, let's pause kind of the different series that we're in on Sundays and go, we need to kind of hit the reset button as a church. We've all been through this crazy year And we said, okay, what are we going to do about this? Like, we need to hit the reset button. What kind of disciples are we going to be moving forward? What kind of a church are we going to be moving forward? And we said, we're going to be people who devote ourselves to Jesus and his ways. That's who we always have been. That's who we're going to be moving forward. So we did this series the last uh, couple months here called Reset, Renewing Our Devotion to Jesus and His Ways. And the reason I say that is we wrapped that series up last week. If you missed any of those messages, I want to ask you, go back and listen to any of them that you've missed because it's so informative of where we're headed as a church, where we're going. We talked about our discipleship strategies, like the things that we give ourselves to, to grow as disciples of Jesus. We have two of them. We're super, uh, super simple as a church, gospel community and Sunday gathering. Okay. So we talked about how we're renewing our devotion to those strategies we believe God's called us to. We also went through our six kind of core values as a church, revisited those once again, saying we don't want these values to just be things that are like values on paper. Like, yeah, this is who we want to be. Yes, but we actually want those to not just be on paper, but to be in practice, to, to have these values actually be things that describe us as individuals and as a collection of individuals, as a community. So again, cannot encourage you enough. If you missed any of that, all that's available. The team does a, does a great job putting it on the podcast and on YouTube and those kinds of things. So go check that out. All that being said, when COVID hit, <clears throat> we were in the middle of a series, not in the middle, kind of coming to the ends of a series, going through the Gospel of John entitled Jesus Is. And we spent, I mean, gosh, we started that series Mother's Day 2018. And we would kind of like go for, we would go for a couple few months and we feel like God would prophetically put something on our heart and then we'd kind of pause that series and step into another series for a few weeks and then kind of pick back up in John and those kinds of things. But we've been going through this series in John, really exploring all the amazing things that Jesus is. The ways that the scriptures reveal God to us through the person of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. Um, this morning, we're gonna jump back into John and we're getting really close to finishing. Uh, I, if I'm honest with you, this is like special for me. I think John's my favorite book of the Bible. If I had to pick one, if I could only have one the rest of my life, I think it would be the gospel of John. 
And the reason, one of the reasons why I love the Gospel of John so much is because John literally writes towards the end of the book, he tells the reader why he wrote it. Like he's explicit about it. He's like, I wrote this so that you, the reader, would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He, he's the Christ. He's the, he's the chosen one, the Savior of the world. So he wants the reader, he's trying to convince the reader that Jesus is who he said he was. And he did the things that I'm telling you he did. I saw him. John wasn't just some dude. John was arguably Jesus' closest friend during his lifetime before the crucifixion. So it's this eyewitness account of Jesus' closest friend. I love the gospel of John. And here's what's so important about this. John knew something. He knew the power of belief. We talk about we, John, he, he wrote this so that the reader would believe. Biblical belief is more than just acknowledging that something is true, right? James talks about how the demons believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is God. It's more than just acknowledging that something's true. Belief is, is, is associated with, with faith. It's, it's, it's trusting what God says. <clears throat> and so this idea of what we believe, like, that's why John even wrote this, so that the reader would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And one of the things that we've said going through this series is what you and I believe about Jesus is the most important thing about our life. That's a strong statement, I know. But I'm going to say it again. I'm ripping off A.W. Tozer, okay? It's not me. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing in your life. Why? Because what you believe, it influences your behavior. What you believe to be true will literally dictate your actions. It's sort of like all of you have a cell phone in the room, whether it's an iPhone or an Android phone or whatever. That is what's called hardware, that cell phone, okay? And on that hardware is what's called software. So you have um, iOS on, on iPhones, right? I'm not an Android guy, so I, forgive me, this is going to break down if I try to drift into a new thing. But the software, what it literally does, it's like Windows on a computer or that kind of thing, right? What the software literally does is it, it informs the hardware how to behave. So it says, hey, pixels on the screen, throw this up, and then the pixels do it. The hardware does what the software tells it to do. So you, what you believe about Jesus and frankly, what you believe in general in your life, it's like the software for your life. It determines your behavior. That's why Paul says things like, be transformed by the renewal of what? Your mind. Because what you believe, it literally dictates and determines how you'll behave. So John writes this, goes, I'm writing this so that you'll believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna jump back into this series. We're gonna wrap it up in August. I'm really looking forward to it. There's some rich stuff ahead of us here. We're getting towards the end. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're gonna be in John chapter 18. John chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll throw the words up on the screen for you. As per usual, I will be in the Christian Standard Bible translation this morning. John chapter 18. Uh, before we jump in, I'm gonna pray for us. So will you join me? Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that really is who you are. I love that we sung that this morning. It's who you are. You're good. And so, Spirit, I want to ask that you would point us to Jesus this morning, as you always do, as you love to do. It's what you're about. Would you teach us? 
Would you reveal more of yourself to us, more of ourself to us? And God, would you help me? I really want to honor you. I want to serve my brothers and my sisters. I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you want to do. So teach us, show us, bless us, please. Thank you for your word. What a gift. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so before we jump in really quick, I want to set the stage. We're, for some of you guys, maybe some of you in the room haven't even joined us for any of John, or maybe you've never read John before, and we're jumping into chapter 18 out of 21. <laughs> There's a lot that's taken place in 18 chapters, okay? Where we're at right here in the story is we are, uh, basically, Jesus is about to go to the cross, okay? He's about to go to the cross. The night before where we pick up here, Jesus, if you know the story, he's illegally, you know, arrested by the Jewish kind of authorities, if you will, and the Jewish like kind of religious leaders. And in so doing, these hypocrites, they, they, they literally violate their own laws and customs in doing so. They do it in the middle of the night. They do it super sketchy. They do it hypocritically. It's rough, okay? So they seize Jesus. They take him in, right? They put him in chains. They beat him. They mock him. This is all before he even stands before Pilate, which we're going to get into. And what also happens is Jesus' disciples, those closest to him, they scatter. Okay, their rabbi, their teacher, their Lord is now in custody. Okay, things are looking kind of bleak. So they, they arrest Jesus. The next morning, they're going to bring him to the Roman governor of that province of Judea, the area, right, the region, Pontius Pilate. Maybe you've heard of him. They're going to bring him in front of Pontius Pilate. Pilate starts questioning Jesus, what's going on here, all these kinds of things. That's where we pick up here today, okay? This story that we're going to read today is one of the stories that we see that happens in all four gospel accounts. It happens in Matthew, it happens in Mark, it happens in Luke, and it happens here in John. Whenever there's a story that kind of makes its way into all four gospel accounts, it's an important one. That's where we're at today, okay? So let's read here. We're going to read starting in John chapter 18, verse 38, okay? So literally, Jesus, right before this, he's talking with Pilate about truth, and then Pilate says this, verse 38, what is truth, said Pilate. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews, like a crowd of Jews together, went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. Underline that. I find no grounds for charging him. Talking about Jesus. Excuse me. You have a custom. This is Pilate to the Jewish crowd. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Jesus. They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Underline that. Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a revolutionary. More on him in just a bit. Now we're going to go straight into verse, I'm sorry, straight into chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. You guys know what flogging is, right? It's like you have a handle, and then at the end of that handle, you have a bunch of leather kind of strips. At the end of those leather strips, you have like hooks and bone fragments and stones, and they would whip people with those things so that those fragments, the hooks and that stuff, would literally get lodged in people's flesh, and then they'd rip it out. It's Gross. It's nasty, okay? So he has him flogged. Verse 2. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and clothed him in a purple robe. Purple was like the color of royalty, okay? And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping him in the face. Pause for a second. Can we just picture this for a second, please? Jesus 
God in the flesh is being treated like garbage. He's the king and creator of the universe. He spoke things into existence. In his creation, people that he's gifted with life are mocking him, beating him. They, they formed the, the classic crown of thorns. They're mocking his lordship. That's what I mean, king and lord, it's almost synonymous. Like, think about this for a second, the reality of it. We've heard, many of you have heard this story a hundred times. Slapping him in the face. Verse four, Pilate, again, the governor, went outside again and said to them, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Second time, catch it? I find no grounds for charging him, Pilate said. Verse five, then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, here's the man. When the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. And Pilate responded, take him and crucify him yourselves. And this is what he says again, since I find no grounds for charging him. That's the third time. Pilate knows he's innocent. Verse seven, we have a law, the Jews replied to him. And according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. While Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. Underline that word afraid. Why would Pilate be afraid? We'll talk about that in just a bit. Verse nine. He went back into the quarters, Pilate went back into his quarters, the headquarters, and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Listen to Jesus. Man, verse 11, you would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it had not been given you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus is making it super clear here who the true authority really is, who's actually in control here. Verse 12, from that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him. That's at least four times. He's going, this guy's innocent. I'm trying to release him here. But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And here is where we see what Pilate is afraid of. He's afraid of word getting back to Caesar, essentially his boss, that he sides with Jesus' claim to be king instead of Caesar being king. Let's keep going. Verse 13. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside to the crowd. He sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Verse 14, it was the preparation day for the Passover and it was about noon. There's details of when this is happening during the day. Then he, Pilate, told the Jews, here is your king. And they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. So Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, 
the chief priest answered. Think about that. These are the religious leaders of the day. The quote, most holy guys. We have no king but Caesar. Verse 16, then they handed him over to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away. All right. So much stuff in this passage, guys. There's so much here. I'm only going to cover two things this morning, okay? I want to talk about who these characters are, and I want to talk about what we can learn from them, okay? Let's jump in. Who these characters are. The, the Jewish crowd, let's start with them. There's this large crowd of Jewish people, okay? These would have been Jews from all over the region, okay? Put your mind on with me for just a second. You can even, like, picture our surroundings. Jews from all over the region, gathered in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate what's known as Passover. Okay, I'm sure most of you know what Passover is, but I want you to think of like, what is it? Next Sunday is going to be 4th of July, right? People get together all over America to celebrate the 4th of July. So I want you to picture here in Temecula. Okay, there's the whole valley. So every neighboring city, right? You have Temecula, right? And you have Marietta and you have Wildemar and Menifee and Elsinore, maybe even Fallbrook, all these kind of neighboring cities. Imagine if they all gathered together in Old Town Temecula to celebrate the 4th of July. To celebrate what? Their freedom. Okay, so picture this. That's what's happening here in the Passover in the city of Jerusalem with these Jewish people. The Passover was this really important Jewish holiday, all right? And it's celebrated when God delivered the people, his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. You know the story. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you know this story, right? The the Jewish people are in slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt, and God, through Moses, delivers them, right, out of slavery in Egypt. And it's uh, it's the classic story of the 10 plagues. You guys remember the 10 plagues? All right, I'm gonna go through them really, really quickly. God sends these 10 plagues upon the Egyptians until Pharaoh actually releases the Israelites out of slavery. But Pharaoh's stubborn, so it takes 10 different plagues for him to finally kind of relent and let them go, right? The first uh, plague is that God turns the Nile River into blood. Creepy. The second plague is the frogs. I don't care how much you like frogs. Imagine if frogs are all over your house and your bedroom and your bath and in here in the gathering, the frogs are everywhere. You're like, get these out of here. Second plague, frog. Third plague, lice. Everywhere, lice. Remember the kids that would get lice in grade school and stuff and they would treat it like they did COVID? Like, get away! Like, don't come near them with lice. Lice everywhere. The next plague, flies. I can't think of any worse than, of, like, what's, what kills a vibe in a backyard kind of barbecue worse than flies. If the weather's nice, it's great, the breeze kicks up and there's flies everywhere, you're like, let's just go inside. Like, this is, the flies are robbing our joy. The next one, livestock. They killed all the livestock. Not, God killed the livestock. Not the Jewish livestock, but the Egyptian livestock. That might not sound that crazy to us, but you have to understand that at the time, Livestock was essentially so much of their wealth as a people. Their, not just their food, but like their food came from it, their transportation came from it, their clothes came from it. Like their livestock was massively symbolic of their wealth. So all the livestock is killed. The next plague, again, still Pharaoh doesn't relent, boils and sores all over the Egyptians' bodies. So their health, Right? The next plague, hail. If you've ever been caught in a hailstorm, not fun. The next plague, locusts. 
like massive grasshoppers, creepy, creepy things. So think like whatever food source wasn't already destroyed, the locusts come in and feast on it and eat it all and there's nothing left. The ninth plague, the three days of darkness. It's like living in the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) And finally, the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn. I don't know if you're familiar with the way it goes down, but basically God gets to the point where he's like, okay, calling all the shots, final plague. He's gonna kill all the firstborn children in, in Egypt. But he makes a provision for the Israelites, for the Jews, for his people. He says, slaughter an innocent lamb, take its blood and paint your doorpost with, like paint the, the doorpost with that blood. And as the angel of death passes through Egypt, it will pass over your home and your firstborn will be spared. So he makes a way for his people. And you guys know the story. Right, Pharaoh relents. Moses leads all of the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. But that idea of, of the, the angel of death passing over the households of God's people, that's what they're celebrating in Passover. Okay, I just want to bring us up to speed here. Pharaoh finally lets them go. That's what they're celebrating, the Passover, how God delivered them. <clears throat> okay? Now, Fast forward to our time where all these Jews are in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover. Each year at the Passover, there was this custom. And the custom was that the Roman officials would release one prisoner to the Jews. Okay, so if you've ever played Monopoly, think like a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's what they get every year. Get-out-of-jail-free card, okay? So you have this large crowd of a ton of people, all these Jews, they gathered in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, okay? Now, this crowd that's like crying out to Pilate and telling Pilate to crucify him, right? This would have been made up of a couple different types of people. The first, you're not gonna be surprised, is the religious leaders. These are the guys that illegally arrested Jesus in the middle of the night, okay? These are the guys that are abusing their authority. They're violating their own laws and customs. Why? All in an effort to get rid of Jesus, because Jesus threatens their authority. And the next kind of group of people that would make up this Jewish crowd, you know, that's stirred up, would have just been other residents and Jews that are there in the city for Passover, okay? This would have been ordinary people like you and me. Ordinary people stirred up by their religious leaders. So think about American politics on both sides of the aisle, okay? This happens all the time. You have political leaders and media personalities stirring people up into a frenzy on both sides. It's not too hard for us to imagine. It sounds a lot like the past year. Okay, so that's the crowd, the Jewish crowd. The next character we see here, Pontius Pilate. Okay, this is the Roman governor of Judea at the time. That's the region here. And if you know anything about world history, you know Rome was the superpower, right? ruled all of the known world, occupied all of the known world. And these Jews, like not only did they hate the fact that they were forcibly under Roman rule, but they particularly did not like this guy Pilate because he was a jerk. He would, uh, he would let Roman soldiers into the sanctuary of their temple, which was like a huge no-no. Okay, so totally disrespected them, disregarded them. He would erect statues of Roman gods in their holy city. 
Remember, Jerusalem is a holy city. Pilate, he ruled them in unholy and harsh ways, and the Jews hated him. Okay, so big idea. They hated Pilate. They're looking for any opportunity to get rid of this guy, get him removed out of power. Okay, that's Pilate. The next character, Barabbas. Barabbas is a bad dude. Okay, he didn't get, he wasn't a prisoner because he got caught shoplifting. Okay, Barabbas is a bad dude. From the other gospel accounts, remember, this shows up in all four. We know that from the other accounts, Barabbas was a notorious criminal. A notorious guy. He was a robber. He was a rebel who took part in an uprising against Rome, and he was a murderer. This is a bad dude, okay? And he was captured because he's doing stupid stuff, and he's held as a prisoner. That's Barabbas. And then finally, we have Jesus. We have Jesus, who is publicly preaching about God's kingdom a different kingdom with a different king. And not only that, but he's claiming to be king. And more than even claiming to be king, he's claiming to be God in the flesh. And his message about the good news of the kingdom of God, that God's rule and reign is really, really good, and that God offers, offers grace to those who repent and turn from their sins and can experience his kingdom, not just when you die, but here and now. Not in its fullness, but at breaking through in tangible ways. So his message is going out, right? And along with his message, it's accompanied by all these miracles. You guys know the stories. God, through Jesus, Jesus is he's giving sight to the blind. He's restoring blind men's sight. The deaf, he's healing their ears and they're able to hear. He's casting demons out of people. He's healing people all over the place of diseases. He's raising people from the dead. So you have these miracles that are accompanied by this message as a sign that, hey, what I'm telling you is true. You don't believe me? Boom. I have authority that transcends what you see around you. And all the while that Jesus is doing this in three years of his ministry, he's exposing the hypocrisies of these very religious leaders that even though they occupy positions of leadership, they're actually leading people away from God and his ways. And as a result, they've conspired to kill him. They want to see him removed from the equation. So the characters, the Jewish crowd, Pilate, Barabbas, and Jesus. Finally, the next thing I want to talk about here, what can we learn from them? What can we learn from these characters? Let's start again with the Jewish crowd. What we learn from the Jewish crowd, I don't know if you caught it, but they're given a choice. Pilate gives them a choice. Did you catch what it was? Of which prisoner to release and which prisoner to reject. Jesus, the innocent one, or Barabbas, the evil one. And what do they choose? Talk to me, baby. Come on. They choose Barabbas, right? Jesus is rejected and Barabbas is released. And this, my friends, is a living picture of what happens when God is rejected. I was at, um, I was at Costco maybe two weeks ago <clears throat> and I'm standing in line at the food court. I was craving a chicken bake 
and they are inexpensive and they are filled with sodium, but they are delicious. So I'm standing in line at this Costco food court and it's almost my turn. And I hear behind me this like, this scream. And it was, it like startled me. It wasn't just like, oh, what's that? It like scared, you know, when you get like, like if you're watching a scary movie and you, you, you know, you get scared, it scared me. And I turn around and like, I don't know, 50, 75 yards away. There's this dad and he is screaming at his kids. Like full on, it was, it was, it was awful. Okay. I think every parent in the room, you've raised your voice at your kids before. That's not what I'm talking about. He is laying into his kids. They're under 10, man. He's giving it to them. And it was like, it was so disrespectful. And I dude, parenting's hard. It's really tough. There's moments when your guard is down and you lose it. He's disrespecting his kid. It was totally inappropriate, friends. This dad is sinning against his children. And even more than that, he's sinning against God. Against you and you alone have I sinned, Lord. All sins are first and foremost a rejection of God and his ways. But this dad, he's sinning against his children and he's sinning against God. That's ultimately what sin is. It's a rejection of God and his ways. And listen, when God is rejected, Barabbas is released. When God is rejected, evil is released into the world. Are you with me? And I'll be honest with you, it was so easy for me to judge that dad. Oh, who, who does this guy think he is? And then I remembered. <laughs> I've snapped at my kids before. I've sinned against my children before. Maybe not in public. But I'm guilty of the very same thing. Rejecting God and releasing evil. What about you? Are there areas in your life where you're rejecting God in his ways? And don't be fooled that like, well, I don't reject him. I just sometimes reject his ways. Nah. Those things are so closely related. You cannot separate them. In your life, let's be real. Can we please not be like religious people? Can we just be honest and real before a holy and gracious God? Is there areas in your life where you're rejecting God and his ways? Maybe in your relationships? Think about it. Maybe in how you use your time. Maybe your sexuality. It goes for all of us. When God is rejected, friends, evil is released into the world. We can learn that from this Jewish crowd. What about Pilate? What can we learn from Pilate? Pilate was afraid, right? Of what? Caesar, maybe? The Jewish crowd? Jesus? Maybe. But there was a paramount fear for Pilate. There was like a chief fear for Pilate. Pilate's primary fear was losing his post as governor. Look back at verse 12. It says this, from that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him, 
But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. We talked about it. We talked about it four times. Pilate knows Jesus is innocent. He knows it. He, excuse me, he tries several times to release him. And yet the Jews, they like, basically they threaten Pilate. They're like, if you don't execute Jesus, we're going to tell your boss that you're on his side. It's not going to look good for you, Pilate. So they threaten Pilate. And Pilate is so afraid of losing his post and the many privileges that go along with it. So what does he do? He abdicates. In other words, he fails to do what's right. He abdicates. James chapter four, verse 17. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Ah! Friends, there are two types of sin. There's two types of sin. There's sins of commission and sins of omission. Maybe you've heard this before. Okay, sins of commission would be like, like when you, when you do the wrong thing, things that, like sins that you commit. I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm, I'm lying. That's an example of a sin of commission. I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm lying. Sins of omission is not doing the right thing. This would be like, like not forgiving. Okay? The bad you commit versus the good you omit. You tracking with this idea? So listen, Pilate's behavior on the outside is different than the Jews, absolutely. But it's equally sinful. It's equally sinful. It's equally a rejection of God and his ways. He abdicates. He exercises his authority to preserve himself instead of preserving justice. He's a a governor. Instead of preserving justice, instead of doing what is right. Pilate's sin is he abdicates. He fails to do what's right. So hear me. Just as rejecting God releases evil into the world, abdicating also releases evil into the world. You seeing this? Again, love you. Not better than you in any way, but what about you? Are there areas in your life where you're abdicating? Where you're failing to do what's right? Maybe in your marriage or your singleness. In your parenting or your interactions with your parents. Or your finances, that's a big one. abdicating also releases evil into the world. What about Barabbas? What can we learn from Barabbas here? Dude, no question, Barabbas is a guilty man. He is a guilty man. He deserved to be punished and yet he isn't. Why? The guilty man is not punished. Why? The guilty one escapes judgment while the innocent one is judged. Do you see it? You catch it? It's a living picture of the gospel, man. Of the good news. The innocent one, Jesus, is judged and condemned in place of the sinner. Jesus is crucified. The sinner is set free. What can we learn from Barabbas? 
Jesus' punishment results in freedom for the sinner. Friends, that's the essence of Christianity in a picture. All right, I'll close with this. I want to call the band up, call the ministry team up. You guys with me? Dude, I'm doing so good on time, guys. Thank you. No hour-long preach this morning. Come on up, guys. Okay, so here's my question for you. Of these characters, who do you identify with? Who do you identify with? The Jewish crowd, Pilate, Barabbas, who do you identify with? Please don't say Jesus. (laughs) Please don't say Jesus. Who do you identify with? Maybe you identify with the Jewish crowd. If you're honest, if you're real, you're like, you are releasing more evil into an already evil world through the ways that you reject God and his ways. Maybe there's this like ongoing sin in your life. And maybe even this morning, the Holy Spirit's been bringing it to mind. He's been bringing it to mind. Or maybe people, people that love you have been trying to bring it to your attention. And yet you reject the message just like this Jewish crowd. Jesus' whole message. Or maybe the sin that you recognize, the ways that you're rejecting God, releasing more evil into the world, maybe it's like a hidden thing. And you're having trouble tracking with me even this morning because nobody knows, so how is it releasing more evil into the world? Maybe it's hidden, but it's not hidden to Jesus. And remember what we talked about in the beginning what you believe determines your behavior. So it might be like a a hidden thing, but just like a tree produces fruit, the fruit that you're producing isn't as ripe and as good and as pleasing and as wonderful as God created for it to be. Do you have any idea how much you matter? He created you to produce wonderful, beautiful kingdom fruit that radiates the glory of God. So maybe you identify with this Jewish crowd. You're releasing more evil into the world through the ways you reject Jesus, through through your sin. Or maybe you identify with Pilate, where you're releasing more evil into the world through the ways you abdicate, the ways you don't do the right thing. This is the one that's way more cunning. It's actually kind of more impressive because most people don't really see it. Maybe you identify with Pilate. Maybe there's some conflict in your life. Maybe there's some conflict in your life and you'd rather brush things under the rug than deal with it and work towards reconciliation and forgiveness through the way of Jesus. Or maybe you're afraid like Pilate. There's these fears inside of you of things not looking the way you want them to look. And that fear tempts you to abdicate, to not do the right thing. That's what courage is. It's it's not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing despite the fear. Maybe you identify with Pilate. You're releasing more evil into the world through the ways you abdicate. And maybe, just maybe, some of us in the room identify with Barabbas. You know you're guilty. You can't deny it. 
Maybe you can fool some people, but you know you're guilty. You cannot deny it, but you've been released, baby. You've been released from the punishment that you deserve. Why? Because Jesus, the innocent one, took your place. And now you know exactly what grace tastes like. So my friend, which character do you identify with? Maybe more importantly, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Each of us, two options this morning. Two options. We can continue to do things our way, my way, right? What seems right to me, what feels good to me, and, and as a result, release more evil into an already evil world. Or, We can take up Jesus on his offer. We can repent and receive the free gift of the gospel. We can repent and receive the free gift of the gospel. In other words, we can stop rejecting God in his ways and receive him instead. Receive him instead. Receive him as savior in your place and as king, as Lord. His rule, his reign, his way. Guys, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian, to receive Jesus as Savior and as Lord every day. Some people love the Savior piece. I'm forgiven. It's amazing. It's beautiful. But like, I'm going to do my own thing. Some people love the like, man, I love the Lord thing, but I just, I'm too bad. I'm too bad. He, He can't wash away these sins. No, man, it's both. It's freedom. The sinner goes free because of the punishment of Jesus. That's Christianity. That's what we're called to every single day. That's what we're invited into every single day. And what is that? It is complete and utter freedom. Jesus is. It's our series. Jesus is the condemned king. He's the condemned king who makes a way for sinners like you and me to be set free once and for all. That's his offer to all of us every moment of every day. It's the gospel. Let's pray. There's no other king like you, Jesus. There's no other king like you other rulers, other authorities, they use their authority for selfish motives and selfish reasons to preserve themselves. And you're just the opposite. You use all of your authority, all of it for the benefit of others who don't deserve it like me. You're the gracious one. You're the kind one. You're unchanging in all of your ways and you deserve so much praise and glory. So thank you for the ways that you are just patient and kind with all of us. Thank you for the unending invitation to drink deeply from the well that never runs dry, the well of grace that empowers us every moment of every day to be free people, free to love, free to say no to sin, just like like you set the Israelites free from the bondage and the slavery in Egypt. You have set those who are free in Christ. You've set us free from the bondage and the rule of sin. We don't have to say yes anymore. We get to say no, motivated by your love and your grace. Whom the son sets free is free indeed. I pray that over this room right now. 
I pray for every person in this room who has sins in the forefront of their mind that they believe are too bad that the blood of Jesus cannot wash away. I condemn that in the name of Jesus. I pray for those who have been spending way too much time being the own Lord of their life and living in bondage and releasing more evil into the world. I pray the forgiving blood of Jesus over every single one of us. It's available to us. Will we come and receive this morning, Lord? Would we be men and women who courageously come and receive? Thank you, Jesus, for being condemned in our place so that we could be set free forever. I love you and I praise you. Amen. All right, friends, we're gonna spend the remainder of our time responding to the goodness of God. We're gonna praise him. The band's gonna lead us. There are trustworthy and amazing and wonderful men and women off to the side here and around the room that are, that are down to minister and pray for you. Um, that's a time, for, oftentimes people will view like, all oh, the people that go forward for prayer are really messed up. No, the mature Christians who know they need Jesus' grace and love are the ones who go get prayer and are ministered to. These people are available to you. There's freedom. You can stand, you can sit, you can sing, you can dance, you can reserve, you can receive ministry. This is a time for us to respond to the goodness of God, okay? That's what we're gonna do. So I'm gonna ask you to stand if you're able. And I invite you to enjoy Jesus. And I'll be up in just a bit to close our time, okay? Love you guys very much. Enjoy him. The costly and amazing love of Jesus for each one of us is something that just never gets old, man. I just want to be in his presence. I just want to sit at his feet and enjoy him. He's so worthy and so kind, so generous and so sacrificial. And the depths of that, well, never mind the depths of that, guys. We can dig all we want and we should just gold after gold after gold after gold. I hope and I pray for each one of us that the radical real love of Jesus that compelled him to do what he's done, that it would like infiltrate every cell in our brain and we'd believe it. Not just acknowledge that it's true, but trust it and act. He really would be our Lord not begrudgingly, not trying to earn something from him, but because he's given us himself out of response. The gospel's not just our message, it's our motivation. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we honor you. We celebrate you. We remember you. Spirit, we cling to you. We cry out for you. We need you. We need your help. We need your guidance. We need you to speak to us lead us, point us to Jesus. Not just head knowledge, but heart, emotions. We want to feel and experience you, God. More than just when we gather together to praise you on Sundays, but every moment of our life, worshiping you, enjoying you, obeying you, operating like you. It's our purpose. It's what you invite us into. So God, we love you. We thank you. And we ask for your blessing on each and every one of us. I just feel right now in this moment, you've just propelled, compelled to pray for the children. Lord, would you, would you help us to tailor this incredible personal message to each one of their little hearts? I pray for salvation for every single child's soul in this church and in this valley. 
Would you fill them with your spirit? Would they live long lives of enjoying you, obeying you, and operating like you, Jesus? And then would you give them eyes to see as they grow the ways that their moms and their dads and their aunties and their uncles, the ways that the family of God has reflected what you're like tangibly through grace, through mercy, through sacrifice, through generosity, through love. We're all your children, regardless of age or stage. Thank you for adopting us into your family forever. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. All right, guys. Love you so much. Enjoy your Sunday. Grab your kids. I think we're leaving the chairs still so that the custodians can take care of those, but you can help the teams tear down. Know that you're loved, okay? Also, can you guys stick around for just a little bit? There'll be people available for prayer um, for the next few moments. Please take advantage of that if God's putting something on your heart, okay? Receive. Love you.